You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Well, thank you very much for joining us here on this very special session at the Hindustan Times uh, Leadership Summit. Federico Marchetti, a pleasure speaking to you, albeit online. We would have liked to have you here in India. I believe you've never visited, so it would have been nice to have you here with us in India. Uh, but thanks very much for joining us. Uh, you know, as as Sunetra was pointing out in that introduction, you're a man ahead of the curve. Uh, you bought into the idea of bringing technology to the fashion world almost two decades ago. Uh, even today, the fashion world is only grudgingly taken to technology. What made you want to bet on technology? You've been called the geek of chic. What made you the geek of chic? Thank you, Shireen, for the question. Um, it was uh, it was 99 and uh, I wanted to, to, to become an entrepreneur. So coming from, uh, let's say, uh, some experiences uh, and after my MBA at Columbia University. And uh, I, I thought that uh, one day uh, fashion was uh, going to intercept technology uh, and the Internet especially, um, because uh, those two worlds in 99, they were completely separate, but they needed the someone uh, a kind of an interpreter or a link to bring to bring them together and and that's what has been my role in the last 20 years basically i've been trying to combine luxury with technology over the 20 years with many many brands that have done their online debut with with me and with my company yux and etaforte and so on and um, and uh, and it's coming probably from the fact that uh, uh, let's say my inspiration, my philosophy has always been uh, uh, to find a good balance between a human and the machine. Mm. So, so which is not, uh, let's say, uh, given that uh, luxury is an industry that is all about emotions, quality and beauty, uh, and, uh, while technology is all about process, data and speed, I think uh, it's important to find a good balance between the two, because if you move uh, too much into technology, then uh, you can alienate the luxury shoppers. And if you are too much luxury without having any technology, maybe you're just missing uh, the biggest trend ever in the fashion industry, which is uh, the digitalization of it. You know, I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit more in detail on the digitization attempts by the fashion industry. Uh, and I guess it's good reason that Forbes magazine calls you the data file. But let me ask you about this uh, this union that you speak of, of technology and luxury and what it means now in a post-pandemic world. Uh, you said in an interview that people love to shop in the old ways as much as they love to shop in the new ways. So, you know, for people who are at this point in time saying that, look, uh, the way that we've shopped in malls and boutiques, that era is now over on account of what COVID has done to the business. Do you believe that we're writing premature obituaries? What do you believe the future of fashion could look like in a post-pandemic world? Uh, we have seen uh, a, a huge acceleration. So my company operates also the so-called online flagship store division, which is something which is a which was an idea within the innovation of mine uh, that came in 2005. So 15 years ago, 
when after launching Nukes, uh, I thought that the brands uh, wanted to have their own monobrand shop. No? So Armani.com powered by Uxnetaporte or Valentino.com powered by Uxnetaporte. It was 15 years ago. So now we see with the pandemic uh, a, a huge acceleration of this division, not only because uh, uh, some of the physical shops in some countries uh, have been closed, but uh, also because uh, I think the digital shop, uh, the quality, the service, uh, the content, the entertainment of the, of the digital shops have improved dramatically compared to 2000 when uh, I came up with the first idea. And sometimes I have to say that the digital shops are even better than the physical shops. But this doesn't mean that uh, the physical shops will disappear. I think, as I said before, I think that uh, there will be a, a balance between uh, going into physical shops or going into digital shops. And probably the holy grail and the final solution will be to integrate them perfectly. Yes. If you are a customer, you are a customer and the same customer that you're that is buying online and is buying offline. And that's actually what we've been working on with Valentino, for example, since uh, almost four years in the so-called uh, project um, next era, because it's really the next era of retail, because basically it's a, it's a completely seamless integration between uh, online and offline. So the two, the two worlds will continue to coexist. So, but, because I think even if I'm a tech guy, even if I'm a digital guy, I'm still sometimes uh, having pleasure in going to a physical shop uh, or I'm still having pleasure to listen to some vinyls because sometimes the music is better on the vinyls than on uh, Spotify. So I think that uh, it's human nature. We will uh, make some progress and definitely the mix will change between digital and physical. So now the digital is still not the majority and will grow, 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 grow but the physical shops will continue to exist. Yes, so, you know, since you're talking about this happy coexistence, I want to talk to you about what digital could mean now in terms of customer acquisition, in terms of customer engagement from a luxury brand perspective. And more importantly, how is digital driving decision making? How is data driving decision making, even from a design perspective? Are we seeing enough of that? Should we see more of that? So that's, uh, uh, let's say, the, 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 the project that I've, I've recently launched uh, with a lot of success uh, um, with the Israel Highness, uh, the Prince of Wales, um, called Modern Artisan. So the idea, everything started uh, in Scotland when um, Prince Charles uh, invited me uh, over for a dinner and um, he, he asked me to come up with an idea of a project to do together, uh, Italy and Britain together. And um, so I went home and I started thinking which kind of project I could do with His Royal Highness. No, it was not an easy task, let's put it yeah. this way. And, um, and immediately came to my mind the fact that um, uh, craftsmanship was definitely something that we both care. Uh, because in Scotland, uh, I mean, some the artisans are disappearing. No, in a way, it's an old job, an old tradition. Same story for Italy and probably also in India. I mean, you have a long tradition of craftsmanship. Uh, the second component of the project 
was about sustainability, because I mean, uh, Prince Charles has been uh, a champion of sustainability since uh, decades. I've been focusing on sustainability since uh, 2009. So like, let's say ahead of the curve of the fashion brands uh, thinking about uh, making sustainable collections. And so that was definitely another important part of the project. And then the last part, uh, which goes back to your question, was about data, because um, Prince Charles definitely uh, has never been uh, so much focused on technology. So that part was, uh, let's say, the the, the the thing that I could contribute to to the to the project. And uh, and my thinking was, uh, if we were adding data and technology and digital to this collection also in the creative process, uh, not only we were inventing a new job, mm -hmm. the one of the modern artisan, no? so also to attract the young generation to become artisans again, no? so to make it cooler, mm -hmm. make it cool again in a way. Uh, and so to revive this old job through modern tools, but also through data and, uh, data and technology to make sure that this collection is fully sustainable in, at its heart. For example, by reducing the waste, because if you can um, meet the customer needs and the customer demand with the collection, it means that you create less waste. If you can uh, have the right sizes uh, through, through the use of algorithm or artificial intelligence, it means that you're gonna have less waste. So not only through fabrics, materials, organic, the best uh, cashmere from Scotland, the best silk from Lake Como. So not only through this, but also through technology, because my belief has always been that uh, in order to become really more and more sustainable, you need to use technology and you need to use the progress and the advancement coming from technology. And it proved to be like that, because in the end, the final result is this collection fully sustainable that has been created, uh, powered by data. So five years of data of our company in terms of customer data, images. Imagine that now we have uh, 36 million images mm -hmm. uh, that we have accumulated uh, in, in terms of fashion in the last 20 years. So these are young artisans, these young students, both from Scotland and Italy, they've been able to uh, understand uh, our customers buying their collection through this data during the process, mm -hmm. which means that they've come up with um, a timeless collection uh, because they've seen the long-term trends coming from our data. And so the camel coat for men, as well as the midi length for women yeah. and so on. So that's, uh, that's the project about. And I believe that that's the next revolution for fashion. So 20 years ago, I came up with the idea of bringing uh, fashion online. Yeah. Now. 20 years later, my idea is uh, through the use of data, I think that fashion can transform and become more and more sustainable. Mm -hmm. Since you're talking about this, uh, this revolution that you hope the fashion world will see and uh, sustainability will become a part of decision making uh, for every fashion house and every fashion brand. Uh, where are we on the scale today in terms of an inflection point from an industry perspective? I mean, you were a pioneer when it came to technology. You perhaps have been a pioneer when it comes to sustainability. But from an industry perspective, uh, you know, 
we, we're so used to the idea of fast fashion. How do you slow it down? And are enough moves being made uh, to do that? You know, I was looking at, at some data that you, in fact, put out since we're talking about data. You said, do you know it takes 1,200 liters of water to make one single cotton sock? I don't, I didn't know that. I don't think most people know that. Is there a higher degree of consciousness today, not just uh, with brands, but even with consumers? And how can brands help drive this consciousness? Yes, the answer is a yes. Thank goodness uh, there is more and more consciousness about this issue from both brands and consumers. So, for example, during the, the recent Cyber Monday, we've seen a boom in, uh, in sales for everything that is sustainable in our uh, offer, both at Net-A-Porte and at Ux. And Net-A-Porte is called Net Sustain, at Ux is called Uxygen, so two areas focus on sustainable fashion. And, um, and definitely, I think the pandemic has been a, 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 an accelerator of this uh, consciousness, uh, as well as uh, the digitalization of the brands, but also the sustainability part. Probably fashion has been a bit late in recognizing that, but definitely the fashion brands and the fashion creatives, the, fashion, the big fashion groups are definitely catching up. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're saying that they're catching up. You know, you're working with many brands, of course, within your own group. Uh, you're also on the board of Armani, for instance. Uh, how are they, how are fashion, luxury fashion brands today looking at the idea of sustainability, looking at the idea of attracting younger customers, looking at deeper penetration into markets like India? China has emerged as one of the biggest luxury markets in the last few years. Uh, do you believe that, you know, do you see uh, India opening up? perhaps as, as a big market as well? I mean, we, we ship to India as, a, as one of our 180 markets. Uh, definitely, there are still some barriers and, and uh, constraints in terms of customs, in terms of uh, uh, time of delivery and so on. So I think that uh, uh, the customer experience is not optimal yet. Um, we focus as a priority uh, on China because in 2018 I've done, uh, together with Richmond and Mr. Rupert, uh, the visionary entrepreneur behind uh, our shareholder, um, we've done uh, the, um, a joint venture with Alibaba in China. And uh, I believe that India has a huge potential. Uh, so we still need to work on it, let's put it this way, as a priority for the group. But uh, definitely never say never. Never say never, and we have to get you to, to, to visit India before that, but... Uh, I can wait to come to India. And um, uh, my, my concept about India is uh, that uh, when I come, I would like to stay three, four weeks, because uh, I have a feeling that India will, will be, let's say, very intense for me, and that I cannot stay for three days, as I usually I have my trips now. So I go to Hong Kong for 24 hours. India, I think, deserves a long time. Yes. And in 20 years, I never had two, three weeks together of holidays. So now that I'm chairman, maybe I will find the time to come to India. And yes, now that you no longer have CEO's role to, to have to look after as chairman, you perhaps can take a little bit more time off for yourself. And yes, I assure you, India will require a lot more than 24 hours. You will not be able to capture it uh, in, in even a few days. You will need a few weeks uh, to, to be here. But uh, you know, since you were talking about uh, emerging trends, what 
digitization and sustainability, if these are some of the mega trends that the fashion industry is learning to work its way through, uh, what else do you believe will be the drivers of growth and will be the drivers of change? Yeah, another another big, big trend that we've seen, uh, which I'm very happy to tell you the truth, and also goes back to your question about fast fashion. So my company since 20 years is uh, at the opposite of fast fashion now because it's uh, like a luxury is uh, meant to last more than just one season. Um, but recently, especially in the last six months, we've seen uh, a big, big increase uh, in uh, everything that is uh, timeless and uh, investment pieces. So the, the brands that they are doing the best are those brands with the top quality, with the, the, the most uh, luxurious um, uh, touch in terms of fabrics, not necessarily the big logos, but uh, the, 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 the brands that um, and the items that people can wear from generation to generation, and not only from season to season, including jewelry watches in this uh, in this category, and um, and, and is the same concept of the modern artisan that is uh, more contemporary than ever because uh, in the end, uh, using data, what the students and the artisan have spotted uh, are these long-term trends, and uh, and it's exactly what's going on in our current trading. So the brands that are focused on data are the ones most more, most success, successful. So not season to season, but generation to generation, hopefully. Uh, that's that's the way forward. That's the trend that you believe brands will need to focus much more on. Uh, you know, since we're talking about uh, life in, in a pandemic, uh, most of us, uh, or at least a majority of people, have been stuck behind computer screens like this one that we're currently on, on Zoom calls of one kind or another. Uh, and, and we've seen a big surge or a big boom in, in leisure wear, in, in uh, you know, sweatpants going glam uh, what what do you what do you make of what you've seen as far as fashion is concerned in the last few months i promise that i'm wearing my full suit <laughs> you'll have to, have to stand up and twirl <laughs> <laughs> during the conference and um, uh, i mean definitely what you said is uh, is uh, let's say is, uh, is what's happening but uh, I, if i can add something let's say more curious and probably none that we haven't read uh, everywhere is uh, about beauty. So beauty, for example, is a category that uh, on Netaporte is flying, probably during these uh, COVID times, um, in the sense that uh, people they wanted to look good also on Zoom, and uh, and also male beauty and skincare is one of our hottest and highest growing category among our assortment. Um, I have to say that uh, to look good uh, on, on videos and to look good on, on the Instagram, so this uh, fashion to show rather than fashion to wear, mm. is not such a, 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 it's not something that is completely, completely new because also in the, uh, I was telling uh, recently that also in the 18th century, people, they used to have paintings uh, with the famous uh, painters and they were wearing the, the clothes just for that painting yeah. and not to go out. So now rather than painting, we have uh, Instagram or we have Zoom, but in the end it's the same story. It is. Since you talked about Instagram, uh, what has social media 
uh, done to the fashion industry? What do you believe it can do for the fashion industry? How do you see this happy union, uh, uh, you know, working in the future? I mean, my my friend uh, Eva Chen, uh, that uh, she's uh, the, the 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 person responsible at Instagram of the fashion brands, and she's been uh, sitting in our board uh, for a long, long, long time. And uh, she's a, such a smart woman. And that uh, actually recently she, she just interviewed uh, Obama in, uh, in her Instagram. And uh, it, it's so funny. Uh, she did a great job. Um, we've done a lot of things together, also to convince brands to, 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 to be launched on, uh, on on Instagram and to exploit, for example, the innovation of Instagram. For example, Netaporte was uh, one of the very, very, very first uh, retailers online that uh, was uh, using the shopping feature on, on, on the Instagram. I believe uh, that uh, Instagram is uh, in a way replacing uh, more and more the the print magazines. So for for, for that, uh, it has been definitely disruptive of the publishing industry. So people, they probably do search or look more at the Instagram rather than uh, uh, go uh, to the newsstand and buy some uh, publications that we all know and that have been very famous in the past that now they are, they've lost a little bit of their relevance. Yeah, well, speaking of relevance, you know, how have you seen e-commerce change uh, in the past two decades since the time that you actually took fashion to uh, took the internet to fashion or took fashion to the internet? Uh, now, from a customer acquisition point of view, uh, you know the touch and feel, uh, more engagement. How do you believe things are changing in the online world when it comes to fashion brands? You know, I, I think that uh, quality, uh, when I started in 2000, there was uh, the modem at 56K speed. So there was uh, like a, definitely a different time. Now we're talking about 5G, about high speed, and the, the quality has completely changed. And what we can do through the, the, the technology in terms of content uh, and entertainment is, uh, is really amazing. So for example, one of the feature that uh, is uh, the most successful, for example, at Ux, uh, because for now it's only at Ux and not at, at Netaporte yet, um, is uh, the so-called Ux mirror, where we're combining artificial intelligence uh, with um, uh, augmented reality, and basically customers uh, can uh, try on the clothes within the app of Ux. And, and 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 basically the usage has uh, skyrocketed in the last couple of months when uh, we we launched the new version, simply because of people they wanted to have fun and uh, and I think uh, entertainment is part of our proposition. So we are not just um, a shopping site; we are media in a way. No, so I always thought uh, that we are a entertainer. So, which is a, a mix between uh, entertainer and e-tailer. And that's yeah. what, in the end, that's what I, I, and actually after my Columbia Business School, I wanted to work uh, as an entertainment uh, company uh, in movies production and so on. So in the end, uh, I'm, that's more or less what I'm still doing. 
So that that's a nice uh, nice term, an entertainer, and you believe that that is going to be the future, combining entertainment and retail, uh, because it gives you the flexibility to engage in a much more deeper and fun way, in a cool way with the customer. But how do you see? I've trademarked, I have trademarked these You have trademarked entertainer. All right. <laughs> So that's that's Federico Marchetti's uh, trademark uh, entertainer. But let me ask you about the business side of things. Um, what we have seen is a lot of large retail chains in trouble, either already filing for bankruptcy or on the verge of filing for bankruptcy. Uh, you know, we're also seeing a lot of consolidation, perhaps inevitable, given the fact that there is a fair degree of pain in the business today. So what do you see on the business side? Uh, of the fashion industry over the next few years. Yeah, uh, you're right. So I always start from the customer because I'm uh, I'm used to think about the customer first because uh, also when I started, uh, I, I invented Ux as uh, the shop of my dreams. And so I was the customer number one and I still think as a customer more than as a CEO or, or in the future as a chairman. But you're right in terms of uh, the business itself, I think I think that um, we are in a very fast-paced um, industry that requires a constant, continuous, and relentless evolution. So, if I look at my 20 years career, basically every couple of years, the company that uh, I'm running uh, has changed skin completely. Now, because at first uh, I started with Europe, and then I launched um, uh, America, then Japan and it became immediately international. Then I launched the online flagship store division with Armani.com and so on. Then I, I opened the Chinese market with JV with Alibaba. Then I did, so basically it's constantly changing. And so I think that um, the companies that they are in trouble are those ones that uh, they've rejected this constant change. Uh, from technology, probably BlackBerry. I was using BlackBerry a lot, like in my, I don't know, in, when I was um, much I younger. I'm still using one. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly I, I have to take a lesson from what you're saying. <laughs> and uh, or other chains or department stores. So I think I think it's you needed to change. You needed to evolve. You needed to basically try to anticipate the progress rather than following it. And that's what I've been trying to do over the last 20 years. Always to be the first and to arrive first. Even if, if you arrive first and if you are a pioneer, it means that sometimes you make also some mistakes because you are the first and you don't have anybody to copy. But I've never copied anybody because it's really so distant from my DNA to copy somebody that I love to, uh, to, to be the first. And it's, it's something that <laughs> since I was a child, I always loved to be the first. You know, you talked about being the first, and yes, there are many advantages uh, to being the first mover. But, but let me ask you, you know, we can't press some of the the, the decisions that you took that perhaps didn't work out as well as you would have liked them to, and how did you deal with that? The you biggest thing. You be, um, uh, I think that innovation, with innovation, uh, there, there are definitely mistakes. So it's impossible to continue to innovate without making some mistakes and to be tolerant also vis-a-vis -vis the mistakes. So in our organization, the culture of tolerance vis-a-vis -vis mistakes is very important if you continue to innovate and to evolve, as I just mentioned. Uh, I, an example, if you want an example, uh, is uh, the, 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 I just mentioned about the Duke's mirror. Uh, 
yeah. when we launched uh, the Mirror two years ago, it didn't work out because uh, because it was like uh, with a few products, uh, the people didn't look good on the Mirror and so on. It was easy to say, you know what, let's not do it anymore. But I insisted, I changed it, I changed it, I insisted, I improved it, and now it's working fantastically well. So I think it's important to also not to give up on the innovative ideas that somebody can have. Innovate and and uh, and not give up on the on the dream that you have. Finally, let me end, Federico Marchetti, by asking you uh, the brands that inspire you, and you can't name yours. <laughs> the brand that has inspired me, but I would say I would say not because I'm sitting in the board, uh, and not because I I, I wanted to flatter anybody. But definitely Armani uh, and Mr. Armani uh, uh, have been, has been a, a source of inspiration for me because uh, it combines creativity with the management and discipline, which uh, the, the, so the brain left and right that we've, we've been talking about uh, like uh, for centuries. And there is the perfect combination of those two brains. And, um, and so therefore, I'm super proud uh, to sit on his board and uh, try to help uh, whenever and wherever is needed. Well, Federico Marchetti, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing your life story as well as your insights on how you get the left and the right uh, to uh, join hands in a much more effective way uh, to ensure not just the survival but the growth of the fashion world. And of course, sustainability will be key to that as well. Thanks very much and we hope to see you in India the next time around. Thank you, Shireen. It was a pleasure for me. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.